Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. I'm here with Will. Hey, how you doing, man? What's up? Uh, Will is. I did another podcast with Will. It's called the. Uh, it's called the Ghostbuster Baby and Kajukembo. Um, you can find it here or there. And if you watch this video real quick, the link won't be there. And then you can just look up Ghostbuster Baby and Kajukembo. Probably the only one out there. Um, yeah, man. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, that kind of that please watch that episode it talks about will and his origin story he's a kajukembo instructor uh he's in san diego and one of the things that we tried to talk about that we didn't get to uh was we talked i think you mentioned a little bit you mentioned your twin brother hank a little hank right yeah that's hank that's right and even when i posted this up uh i put this on the ghostbusters reddit and, and people were just more focused on hank like they were just like you know, we're really sorry, you know, um, for those of you that don't know, Hank passed away, um, and Will's going to share the details about that in, in a sec here, but a lot of people were really ta asking about your brother Hank, how he passed, um, asking about weird questions about whether or not your parents showed you pictures of Ghostbusters or Bill Murray as you grew up, back to you. <laughs> And it was a secret. We had no idea we were in the movie. <laughs> that's a bit, so yeah. Either way, though, there was um. That's 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 what a lot of the, from the first episode, where we kind of left off. So if you watched that episode, now you're here. Welcome back. And if this is the first episode you watched, you can go back and and kind of watch. We don't really talk much about Ghostbusters. I'm just gonna say that right off the bat. It was it was a clickbait title. We talk about yep. Josh Campbell the whole time. Um. <laughs> so like. So, so Will, what, what, just to share with your audience, what did happen? Because um, when I, I mentioned that in the show, the first episode, I met you and Hank uh, at a Kajukembo seminar before a tournament. Um, yeah. So, what did happen to Hank, man? So, you know, it, when we met, I remember distinctly, and we talked about it a little bit before. He was in the middle of a psychotic episode. I probably only went to the tournament because he decided he wanted to go, and I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to let you go to. A, some kind of event when you're clearly psychotic and it's not that he was hearing and seeing things and letting on to other people he was uh, a bipolar schizophrenic or a manic depressive schizophrenic now they just call it schizoaffective and so he would have manias where he would see things and hear things but he always had schizophrenia so he'd always have delusions that he was fighting thoughts that he knew weren't real uh sometimes and then when he was more manic it was a lot harder for him to tell and then he would hear lots of voices. For him, it was a lot of voices. I we don't really know why he heard voices, and you know, some schizophrenics see things. You know, that's all stuff that they're still studying. Way when we met, he was in a deep, you know, psychotic episode, and he would have those all throughout his life, where whatever genuine life stressors imagined from his delusions would trigger him, and then he would go into mania, or he would go into very deep depressions. And eventually, he didn't make it out of one of his depressions. And for a number of factors, he ended up deciding to hang himself. And, you know, I don't like to use the word committed suicide because obviously the word committed kind of has a negative connotation in this sense. Because no one who dies by suicide really feels like they're 
doing a crime. They always think that they're trying to help everyone else around them, relieve the burden of trying to take care of them. 99% of the time, there's, uh, I facilitate for survivors of suicide loss here in San Diego. And they talk about how, you know, there's always that one person who writes a note and is saying, it's your fault I'm killing myself, when obviously they're mentally ill anyway. anyway. But it, it's the same idea. No, you know, most of these people are the most empathic, caring, loving people that we lose. And it's just a damn shame that he had such a horrible mental illness. And the reality is, I feel personally that schizophrenia and other mental illnesses, if we talked about them more and embraced them more, it would be better for society and we would lose less people. I don't believe that any one person can prevent a suicide. Uh, I talk about that a lot in my groups. Um, if anyone could have it, would have been me. I don't brag about it, but you know that's how I personally feel. Uh, but I do think a village can stop someone from killing themselves. We can't watch someone twenty four hours a day, but you know six or seven of us can until they get through this tough period in their life. Uh, so that's pretty much what happened. I mean, I could go on and on about the number of things that happened in Hank's life that caused him to die by suicide. But at the end of the day, no one knew he was schizophrenic except for close friends and family, and he made sure of that. He didn't want anyone to know. I told one of our close friends, uh, one of our students who became a close friend, and he was so pissed that I had told anyone because he didn't want anyone to think negatively of him and see him just from the light of being schizophrenic. Uh, so that that's his story. I mean, he had schizophrenia. I, you know, I'm actually trying to publish a book. So if you want to read that, you're more than welcome to. I'm, I'm working my way through that. So if you really want to know his whole life story, you're welcome to check that out. But right now, you know, that's pretty much what happened. You're still, writing, you're, gonna, you know, he, you're still publishing, so you already wrote it. I, and it's I'm right, I'm right now in the middle of, I wrote the book, and then I've got somebody who is reading through it, and then they're giving me notes back, and then once we get through finalizing the manuscript, then we're going to work on publishing. So, yeah, but, okay. you know, we'll see how that happens. Um, right. I, I just I, wanted, like, I just wanted to make sure I wanted, I'm not supposed to plug in something right now. Like, Oh, yeah. I know I would have totally been like, and it's coming out next week on no. <laughs> All right. Just make it sure. Next podcast. Uh but yeah, that's Hank's story um in a nutshell. And martial arts played a huge role in keeping him around. It was really one of the main things I think that helped him stay around because he developed so much discipline and confidence and dealing with having to get up over and over again, as we often do in martial arts. And I think that played a huge role in him sticking around but you know eventually he just got tired that's that's what he wrote in his note he just got tired you know he wanted it on his tombstone or his headstone because he thought he was getting a tomb i don't know where he was tripping with that but he wanted everyone to know he was tired uh that he tried but he was tired uh so i mean that's hank you know angela i'd love to hear about your friend because i know you have a similar story yeah i have a few friends so oh, i'm sorry we'll start we'll start with the most so like well, well I guess we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work our way to the friends and then before I start talking about my friends, um, I'm gonna have to cover. I'm gonna have to cover how and why I got into psychology. So the reason I started studying psychology is because, and I have to be careful, very careful how I say this because I don't want to get sued. Um, a very close family member of mine who I grew up with for most of my life, who was one of my primary caretakers, 
was um was mentally ill is mentally ill and is still alive to this day which is why i have to be careful about how i speak about them because um they've already threatened to sue me if i talked about how they raised me wow but um but yeah they were severely mentally ill there was a lot of suicide attempts i saved them multiple times um from multiple attempts uh as early uh, my first time of saving this person was when i was how much was that so eight or nine about nine wow when they, when they when they told me they were going to take themselves out and they and they took a bunch of pills and i had to stop them from doing that and as i grew up eventually i couldn't be around that and i had to get away from it that makes perfect sense um, to me so that's uh, where that's where I, that's what made me want to study psychology because at one point i said hey, maybe if i study psychology I'll be able to handle this individual, and uh, it didn't help me. <laughs> I got to under, I got to understand them more. I got to understand what, what, why, how the cycle of abuse works, how trauma works. I, I got to understand all academically, intellectually how it works. So finally, fully make full circle and realize that whatever answer this individual needs is not me. And they eventually did get the help. That team of people you talked about, they have that team. I'm not part of that. I can't be part of that team. I'll, if anything, the closer I am to this individual, the, the worse it'll be. Because it brings up too many feelings of, of guilt and problems. And yeah, so like, yeah. So it's complicated. <laughs> that, no, I that... That's some next level. So let me ask you, do you feel like it was just the mental illness? Do you, cause that's a big debate, you know, that we have to talk about at what point is it? They're just not pulling them up by their bootstraps and, you know, no, doing what they need to do. It's but, definitely mental illness. Like the person, this individual had a very awful life. I mean, the more when I, when I, yeah, I also wrote a book that I can now no longer release for oh, reasons of, of a lawsuit. Um, so, like, so I did a lot of research. <laughs> so I did a lot of research about this individual and how they were raised and just found a lot of trauma. And what I, and so like, you know, and what I learned in psychology, so you can have two ways, right? There, there's the people who in their one generation did not experience a lot of trauma and just experienced a very severe mental illness something like what you just talked about schizophrenia combined with bipolar disorder and then you had one other term that mixed the two or the three and uh manic depression they don't use that anymore in the dsm Uh, i don't want to go to too many technological terms because i'll lose my audience but um either way there's people who have these things that it just spontaneously occurs this has to do with the uh, i forgot the name of the model there's we'll, we'll, we'll use layman's terms there's a, there's something called there's there some people will say environment the environment model or the environmental model where uh, a mix of the environment and genetics will right. will if you're looking at genes uh, in layman's terms imagine that every and we'll put this in because when we talk about mental health people get kind of weird let's just talk about cancer for example uh, you never know you'll have one person who smokes cigarettes all their life and doesn't die of cancer no problem. I have my my father in law is one of those guys. He's like almost ninety, smokes pack a day, no problem. Then you have those people that didn't even smoke a pack a day, 
They smoke cigarettes sporadically with friends socially, and they die of lung cancer before they're 50. Or my dad, who never smoked cigarettes in his life, but was just around, uh, just around cancer, cancer-causing products because a mechanic, and boom, before yeah. I think by 57, by 45, prognosis of cancer, died of lung cancer because it was a malignant tumor and it got into his lungs. That like a like a smoker, but never yeah. smoked. So like, how does that happen? How does this happen? Well, it's, it's the same thing for mental health. Uh, and I don't think people understand that, you know, they they don't understand that everyone, for whatever reason, has their own reservoir or their own cup. And for who knows why, just genetics and you know, environment, I guess, like some people have a cup and they can handle a lot of trauma, for example. Some people, not so much. And then yeah. some people just get so much trauma. It's like, well, how do you not develop some kind of problem? Yeah, you know? well, they do develop a problem, but they at the same time. um Maybe there was a community. Maybe there wasn't a community. They, that's that's right. where the research is. There, there's a lot of people trying to do research on that particular kind of person. But um, why didn't they, even though they did have the same kind of, they, they did develop mental health issues, how is it that they didn't, it didn't become so severe that they ended up getting to that point? Right. Um, and that's still being researched as well. So like, that, this is why I started studying psychology. So then we, let's go back to Kaji Kembo. Um, I got uh when I moved back when I moved out to Japan about a few years in and I, I you know when when this kind of stuff happens since I didn't talk to any family members I'm not going to disclose names I'm going to keep saying that but um we had uh we had one of our one of our one of my sparring partners and and close friend that we tra I trained with for years coming up when I met you when I met you was he there when I met you had you, a friend with yes, you he was there. That, that was, was the friend. guy, really? That was my friend. Yeah, he was there. He was acquired he a guy. He was there. He was a tall guy, right? Real tall guy. Yep. Yeah. And um and yeah, he was training. He got into it. Me and him, uh, he came from a different school. He did uh he did something called Shaolin Kempo. Yeah, that's and what I started in. He started in Shaolin Kempo and uh when he when I heard when he heard what I was doing, he really wanted to get into it. So me and him started sparring and training together. And then uh, I introduced my instructor, and he, he was all—he loved it. He loved it. He loved training in Kaji Kembo, and he seemed on the surface to be fine. And and it was just shocking to me. A few years into me moving, like before I left, he was in a good spot. His life had a lot of ups and downs. A few a few issues with substance abuse. Yeah. Um, and he was in a band. He so he came from that kind of lifestyle. But he kind of got out of it, and there was times that you know I, I yelled at him for those in those times. You know, hey, you know, you gotta snap out of it. <laughs> as far as right. the substance abuse issues, and um, but you know, he did, he did, he did. Like he trained hard, he controlled, and I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm talking like more narcotics. He got he kicked a narcotics issue, and that's hard to do. You know yeah. that that takes a lot of freaking discipline, yeah, and effort on the daily. Yeah. And he didn't go to no. He didn't go to any 12-step program either. He was just like, I think the shame, and I, I feel bad for shaming him, but the shame that I, that I kind of threw on him about, I called him out on it one day. I'm like, dude, I know you're, I know you're hyped up. I know you're hyped up on crack right now. Like I can see it in your eyes. Your eyes are dilated. Like, what's up? Yeah. Like, come back to me when you're sober. And like, and he came back and he, and he admitted that he, that he's been fighting it for a while. I'm like, I know, and I'm not going to give you a hard time about it, but, um, 
you do what you do on your private time, but don't let it, don't let it come here. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't come here like that. Don't ask me to go see. I don't want to see you like that. Like, you do that on your own time. But don't. And he and he kicked it. Like, and it wasn't because of me telling him that. He kicked it on his own because of many reasons that he told me later. And he even stopped drinking, even though I never told him to stop drinking. That was his own. I, and I drink. I drink casually. But he he decided to take it another level, and he got a little older. He said, "You know what?" And this is him before I left. He said he joined the military. And okay. these are all things that these are all things he did on his own, not because anybody told him to. He wasn't a very patriotic kind of guy. Um, but he saw the military as a place where, as he put it, uh, would give him the discipline, more discipline. He says he's always he's always admired discipline, and the military structure had a discipline, and uh, it gave him. What was the words he used? But okay, it gave him the inspiration he needed to be better, as he put it, and that rigid schedule he liked. He enjoyed it. Yeah, and he enjoyed the boot camp and he enjoyed military training. And he said, "I, I excel at it. I'm doing really well with this." And I know I'm not a political kind of person. Um, and he, me, and him, he was very anti-military. He's the last guy you'd ever you'd think would join the military. Because he was very really? anti-establishment kind of dude. Yeah. But he ended up joining the military. And I was like, and I, I'm, I mean, I'll admit it. I don't want to get political on my show. I'm, I'm very kind of an anti-establishment kind of guy too. I don't share my beliefs with people, but I'm kind of anti-state, that kind of thing. But, yeah. but um, again, I don't knock people. So when he told me to join the military, I'm like, hey, man, that's, that's, if that's something you enjoy, that's something you like, it's making you feel good, then fuck, man, I support you in that too. I support people. I have plenty of friends in the military. I support you in that. Um, cool. All right. So and, and he ended up joining the. He ended up being in the army reserves. He ended up in the reserves, and particularly for him, which I thought was amazing, he was um, he was Mexican, and they gave him two choices. You know, there was a point there like we can send you to Afghanistan, or he was a medic, or we can send you into the deserts of Mexico to to with a special unit that patrols the border and okay. looks for looks for smugglers and also he, and he was telling me about his work he would help people he's like i know it's so weird like i'm looking for smugglers and people trying to come into mexico and i think he, he was joking around about how some of his family members came through that same border a few generations <laughs> earlier and he's like i kind of feel it's like i i kind of feel guilty about it <laughs> But at the same time, I get this immense joy because as a medic, I'm finding people that the smugglers ditched and they're dying and I get to put an IV in them and I get to save these people. Like, Oh, that's great. So like, that's where he was getting this, like, this really cool thing. And I was like, that's, yeah. man, that's really positive. Like, this guy's really made a turnaround in his life. And um, so what happened? And then he quit drinking. He said, I, I feel like when I drink, I'm tired the next day. So I came to Japan, and two years into being in Japan, I get a phone call saying he shot himself. And I'm just like, what? Like, what? And when I looked at it, I, I immediately went to his Facebook page to see, and the last post he put on there was, uh, I'm going to go to a Snoop Dogg concert, and he put a joke about Snoop Dogg, yeah. And um, 
and um, and you know, I, and and the from what I saw was is that he did start drinking again, like for that event, and I did notice that once in a while he would drink, and when he would drink, he'd kind of go into a dark place. Now I'm not against drinking; I'm just analyzing the situation for him. I noticed when I went back because before he shot himself, I went back to visit, and when I went to visit, he got really busy. He wasn't able to train as much as he'd like, and he drank. He's like, you know, I'm going to drink because you're here as a celebration. I'm like, all right, man, well, you, you don't have to. Like, it's up to you. He's like, yeah, if you're drinking, it's like, all right, cool. And I did notice that when he was drinking, he got a little dark. Like, he got a little dark. Or he got a little depressed. He got a little, yeah. sick, little down. Was and he I, drinking more than usual? Like a normal person? I mean, I don't even know what a normal person drinks. Yeah, so I don't even know. It was alcoholics, but yeah, like, well, functional I mean, alcoholics have never heard this. I mean, they, they worked great. Yeah. But I mean, they drank more than, they didn't drink two drinks a day. I'm just thinking yeah. like, he didn't, he wouldn't drink. And every once in a while, he would. And when he would drink, he would kind of, like I said, he went to a dark place. And then another friend of mine, who ended up dying, another Kajukenbo practitioner, one of my students, ended up dying of, uh, what, is, what is it when you drink so much that your your your, your organs oh, shut down? Like, he had organs. Cirrhosis. Liver cirrhosis. Cirrhosis. Yeah, cirrhosis. And that guy, like, I look at that as a slow suicide. That's a really good point. Because, like, everyone knew. Like, he, uh, he's another guy. Same pattern. He would stop. Another, same background. A few divorces. A few kids with, with ex-wives. Trying to make it work with a new person. The same yeah. story. Different people. Different country camera practitioners. And my friend shot himself, and I looked at it, yeah. And then there was there was also some, I guess there was maybe some relationship issues happening at the time with his new partner, perhaps. Yeah. I forget if it was his wife or not, but it was a new partner, and he's had a few several partners in his life. Um, not an easy life by any means. And the other guy, same thing. And that it's funny, that day that I was there, they were both there. The last time I saw them, they were both alive really? together and hanging out with me. Wow. And they both went into that dark place. I was like, that's weird, man. He, this person's drinking again. I thought there was... I, I didn't think about it much. I was like, oh, they're drinking again. Oh, whatever. And at the end of the night, they kind of started being like, <laughs> like, they were about to... What do you mean by saying that? They almost got in a fight. And we had to break them up. Be like, hey, guys, just chill out, you know? Yeah. You know, it's it's okay. And then I, when I leave, a few years later, that guy shoots himself. And a few years later after that, the other guy dies of uh, liver cirrhosis. And he knew. Like, the doctors told him, hey, if you keep drinking, like, and that guy would. Like, so you asked the question, how much did he drink? He didn't drink much. Like, he drank socially. And from what I saw that night, my friend in the military stopped drinking again. My other friend did not. Mm. He, he, was going, he was going back to his old habits, like a bottle a day. Um, and he just kept doing that. And the doctor told him, you keep doing this, you're not going to last. And um, he kept doing it, like, <laughs> yeah. And by the time, by the time, I think I, I heard rumors that maybe he stopped before the end, but it was too late. Like the damage was too severe to recuperate from. But that was another person who went sober for years, years, years. And that that guy actually went to a step, a twelve-step program. When he was in the twelve-step program, he asked me to start training in Kajukembo. He wanted to get an MA. Yeah. Being, I became his personal trainer. 
And um, even though I normally don't do personal training, I said, oh, you know, if you want to go to the gym with me, you're more than welcome to. So he, I had, uh, I had, the way I had, I had that that membership where you can have a free guest at all times. So I, I he'd just join me and we'd work out and we'd work out the gym and then we hit the bags and we did some Kaiser Kimbo. So like that, nice. he went sober for that time. He would go to barbecues. He wouldn't drink. He'd be non-alcoholic beverages, and that was it. Like, and we went for a long time. Talking like maybe a, a nice ten years stretch. Of, of strict sobriety with, with a 12-step program. And then, um, and yeah. Yeah, so but I consider that a slow suicide. And then the other one overnight. And then the first one was my friend when I was 18. Uh, a guy I grew up with, he also shot himself. Um, similar background, a few failed relationships, a few kids um, with, mm. with different partners. And I don't, the, all I can guess is it just became a lot. That's all I can think of. Like, particularly for my friend in the military, I'm guessing it just became a lot for for them to handle. Like, when they were in that dark place and they were doing so well, maybe when they went to that dark place, um, the amount of things they felt that needed to get done for them to feel even. And I'm I'm using these kind of vague terms because I don't want to get sued. Because again, <laughs> I don't want to get sued by maybe any of the family members watching this and being offended. But that's this is all I can pretty much kind of come to the conclusion of. Like, it's kind of a mystery, you know. Uh, when it comes to self harming thoughts, I was uh, it was online, but it was a summit for um, depression, bipolar alliance, or something like that. You think I remember the exact name of the organ? It's the DBSA. But they're saying, you know, one out of 10 kids going to middle school have self-harming thoughts or, you know, some sort of thought that uh, is is towards doing damage to yourself, like smoking or drinking or something like that. You know, like they, they want to do something that is going to hurt them in some way in the long term, like drinking. And it starts as young as that, you know, where people are having issues like that. And you got to wonder, you know, like, why is it that like your friend joins the military? Everything seems to be going good surface level but then it's still not enough somewhere something is still you know not being resolved deep down underneath and i i honestly feel like like even with my twin brother he could have had a fulfilling life but he didn't feel like he was accomplishing all that he could i don't know why it is that people have this idea of what they should actualize in their lives like a relationship and then they just can't accept what happens you know, or they look at the relationship or they look at the incident or the event and it sums up their life. I, I've never really understood that. I mean, I, I do to an extent because when Hank killed himself, I took it very personally, being his identical twin and his business partner and his brother and his caretaker. You know, I took it very personally. But at the same time, you know, I had to come to a place where I realized that his suicide was about him. You know, it was an event in my life. But his suicide wasn't about me. And I it, it takes a lot, I think, for people to come to those conclusions about different things in their life that don't go their way. I mean, you talked a lot. I, don't, I think it was before. Well, no, it was on the podcast just now about your primary caregiver person and the steps you like to take to overcome that incident. Uh, I, I don't know what makes it possible for people to separate in their minds. I don't know what miracle it takes to shift their mindset. You know, because you can't make someone see something a certain way. 
you can't make your friends see his life being, you know, imperfect, but how many things he's accomplished in the military and his life. We can't make them do that. I wish we could. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough thing with mental illness. And it's a shame that it's people who are martial artists. Like, I feel like men reaching out for the martial arts is very common for trying to, you know, resolve whatever com- internal conflict they have. Uh, maybe it's in other sports too, but for me, I just always felt like I was constantly battling myself when I'm hitting a bag for 12 rounds. You know, when my coach is in the corner, he can be rooting me on or telling me not to give up. But most of my instructors my life have said, you know, if there's one good quality or trait about me. It's when I show up to train, it's like I'm training 100%. You know that I'm going to be going, which is why I can't train right now because I have an injury. Because... People were like, well, why can't you just kind of run through the motions? I was like, I just don't, I don't have the ability. I, I wish I could do that. It's just really hard for me. Maybe someday I'll master that technique. But yeah, I mean, it's an internal battle with the martial arts. I've always enjoyed that because once you get through the workout for an hour, you're like, well, shit, I can, that was way worse than what's probably going to happen to me today. <laughs> so, and I beat that. So I've got to feel good about that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what it is about the martial arts that draws people to it. Uh, I mean, for your for your friend uh, who was drinking too much, did he keep training after you, even after he started drinking, this, this or was it? That, well, this is one thing I can say, is he, he he stopped training, and then I want to say even my other military friends stopped training. Like I, I know I've noticed a trend. I don't know if it's a trend. It's only two people, so it's not enough to say it's a trend. Well, no, for, Hank for, for, injured but, himself before. Uh, and I one more thing for me to burn off guilt wise. We were doing uh, low kick drills and we were just blocking low kicks back and forth, you know, uh, and for whatever reason, he pulled something, you know, in his groin and he just couldn't train like he was. And then he picked up swimming because he was like, I got to keep moving. That was a big thing for him. He would run five miles, you know, three to four times a week because it was just part of his routine to keep himself mentally there. Uh, And then he got ear infections. Uh, and he could he got swimmer's ears so bad he couldn't swim. And then that was pretty much it. That was his groin. He couldn't swim, and he was pretty much out of options. So there's at least three people. All right. All <laughs> anecdotally. Right. So, yeah. Anecdotally speaking, um, going back to what you said about the martial arts, specifically martial arts training. Uh, in psychology, we talk about mindfulness. This idea of, of mindfulness is coming from cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's it's all it's really big. I'm sure in, in your circles you've heard of it too. Um, of course, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really big theme in psychology. It has been, and one of the biggest themes here is the idea that a lot of people that suffer suffer from anxiety and depression, and I'm one of them. I'll I'll, I'll openly say, and I've talked about this on the show before, that um I have issues with social anxiety and depression. Now, what happens is rumination the idea that your brain when you have anxiety and depression will pick this one thing this one event this one conversation this one negative thing and it'll just put it on loop in your head to the point that you won't even sleep i've had this happen to me i'll spend a whole night oh i'm sure i'm just sitting there hopefully everyone's had this experience right like like, i just want to go to sleep but i just keep reliving this one part not even the full conversation the conversation was great in fact we ended the conversation with a resolution it was some conflict involved we talked it out things are good but i'm focusing on the one part 
where I was being criticized and I'm just like, fucking worthless. And when I do martial arts training, it can stop that loop. Right. Because exactly at that what you point mean. in time, if I don't stop that loop, the timing bag is going to hit me in the face. So I have to be focused on the timing bag. Or if I'm doing jujitsu, if I'm thinking about that conversation, then not you even can't. like not even in a in a in a dangerous situation. Like right now, I'm the highest ranking student. I'm a purple belt in my class and for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So if I start thinking about the conversation while the instructor's teaching something, even though I'm not an instructor per se, I'm always matched up with a white belt. Then when I go work with the white belt, I won't You're remember gonna... the technique they just showed and I'm, I'm going to have problems. So like, it's those situations where I have to stop that loop. No choice. Right? And teaching's the same way. I, I noticed after Hank died, even though I hated teaching at the same time, it was very easy to get back in routine and just focus on the students and be present because my brain was trained to do that. Like you're saying with mindfulness, I think that it's like a, a flow state that for some reason, martial artists, it's just easier to attain that flow state of being present in the moment because of what you're saying. Like you're going to get punched in the face. You're going to get choked out. You're going to miss the technique. It's just so natural that you can't achieve it in every area of your life. But for martial arts, you just gain that ability so that when I know we're sparring for five rounds, people are like, well, why do you have to, like, I'm injured. Why do you keep on training? I'm like, well, we just talked about people dying. You know, I mean, I, I have bipolar too. Um, so I have hypomanias and I have long periods of depression. And I know if I completely stop exercising, I'm probably not going to hypomania. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Uh, yeah. and so I need those 25 minutes of for whatever it's like i all i can see is this person in front of me and it's a magical place when you have nights of rumination and you know you have long stretches of feeling bad and feeling not enough and all that those emotions you know i mean it, it makes a huge difference it does to know that you're going to have a break at some point yeah and like i think that i think another thing that you're touching on here um there's just a, a different dynamic i think when it comes to, and I don't want to genderize anything, but there's a different dynamic to the way men experience mental health and the way women experience mental health and they're going through the same things as far yeah. as how society, maybe not even the way society treats men as much as how men put on themselves to behave for society. That's what I would say. Well, there's that whole masculinity. It'd be, it'd be easier to say, oh, because society does this for me. Because you hear that a lot from the left. Oh, because society does blah, 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 blah. But I'll grab that and flip it. It's even on the from the right side of this argument, from the conservative side of the argument, men, if I'm looking at it from a conservative side of the argument, men have to be men. Men don't have time to be sad. Men don't have time to cry. If, and even if you do, yeah, even even when people say, oh, yeah, we're supportive of you, you know, if you if you don't feel good or if you feel sad, but that that'll only last maybe a day or two at the most. Yeah. The third day that people close to you are like, what's wrong with you? I, I agree. I mean, I. I have a person in my life I feel the same way about and I've been making a strong effort to be patient because of my twin brother. Uh, but at a certain point, 
your mind starts thinking, we got to get shit done around here, you know? Like, we're supposed to be all working towards a goal. The vision I have is really starting to look a lot more difficult with you in it. Uh, but it's hard because you want to create that space, right? You don't want to, because like we talked about, it's not really their fault. A lot of the time, some of these people, not real, I would say generally in my opinion, people with mental illness are trying harder than the rest of us to keep it even killed. You know, we're not, they're trying to just get through the day. And I've experienced the periods of my life where I don't have something going on with me and mental illness. And it's like, God, it's like I'm playing this game on easy mode, you know, like, Jesus, that's what it's like to go through a day without horrible depression or crippling anxiety or irritability. This is ridiculous. And then when it comes back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is it's it's tough. So I don't want to give those people a hard time, you know, but like you said, you get impatient. Get your shit together. We got stuff to do. I'm actually talking from the other side, like people telling oh, me really? to get shit together. It's not even like. <laughs> So for me, I like I never have a point where I'm not being productive. That is not the way I work. I'm always productive. There's never a I point feel where I'm not. I being have productive. to be productive. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, and even like when you were saying about the constantly, I've had injuries, uh, LCL tears, ACL tears, and I, I've literally got so much equipment in my gym to work around injuries. Like even if I'm injured, I'll sit there. I'll do battle ropes. Okay. I can't move. I can't move my legs. I can't. Okay, I'll do battle ropes. Oh, I can't. Um, I have right now. I have a torn shoulder. Okay, what can I do? Let me look online. Oh, rehab. I'll do rehab exercises. Like, <laughs> I oh, know exactly. I have I have exercise bands. I can sit there, and whether it's not whether or not I'm actually getting something physically out of this, it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit there, I'm gonna put twelve rounds on here, and if if all I can do right now, even though I have a torn shoulder and I can't walk because I, I need a brace, and I need I need I need crutches to walk. I'm gonna hobble my way into the gym, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and do these little wiggle toe exercises that they said I can do, and that's gonna be my workout today. That's because if I don't, <laughs> if I, I don't do that, it'll fuck up my whole day. Thank and you for reminding me of that. And, and it won't and it won't fuck up my whole day. And I think this is how it happens to these guys, to the people. It won't fuck up my whole day in a way that people see me depressed. It'll it'll fuck up my whole day. In that the people close to me know that I'm depressed because I'll stop talking or I'll, I'll have a very, uh, my tone of voice, as they say, gets really down. Yeah. And then the people that don't know me just figure, they can't really figure out what's going on because they don't know me. So like my clients and stuff can't really figure out. They don't know what's happening. The people right. close to me. And they're, they're a little tired like, today. You know, yeah, a little like... tired because you don't really high energy and joking around and stuff and that, that stops immediately and that, that's when they know oh there's something wrong there's something bothering him and i think that's the difference like like i said it's not not to be gendered or anything it's just the way men behave is a little different from the way women behave in, in these some women not, not not to generalize here some women may do the same thing but um but for men it, it tends to be this internalization of I'm not allowed to feel sad. And I've even had people close to me be like, you know, you're not attractive when you're sad. And I go, fuck. All right. Well, then, fuck. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the uplifting advice. That's going to. I wasn't. Thank you. Because I was, I was going for an attractive. Yeah. Advice. I was going. I was shooting. I was shooting for sexy. But I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought. 
I thought me sitting here and just being like, yeah, whatever, not really talking and engaging made me sexy, and I appreciate you bringing out that. So, like, the people close to you will say really hurtful things. Um, maybe just to try in, in their head to help well, you snap out of it. they think they're trying to help you. Yeah. You know, they, you they think, out. just like I did with my twin, I was constantly trying to influence him. And it was only a couple weeks before he died. Uh, I used to keep a journal uh, before I started writing everything in OneNote on my phone. Uh, and I had this part where it's just like observations, talking to Hank X day, you know, whatever. And it's like, stop trying to fix his problems and just listen to him. You know, he just wants to talk and get it off his chest. And I was like, God, you know, I, I was so focused on like, well, just do this. And why don't we try this next pill and we'll do this program. And it's like, shut up, you know, just listen to how I feel for a second. Yeah. But like you said, that's a different mentality for guys. You know, like we want to be productive. We see you sitting there, just like we want to make sure that we're doing things. It's like we see someone sitting there. It's like, oh, well, if we can just get them to do something, you know, they'll be better. Uh, it, it's tough. I, it really is. There's, yeah. It's a different dynamic, and like, and that's so. Like, we're getting we're getting close to the wrap up here, but um, but um. Sorry, I think <laughs> my daughter, okay. daughter is like talking to me. But yeah, I think I think what happens is, um, when I and I, I recently had a low, and I writing it down, I wrote a really dark email about exactly what I was thinking, and there were really dark thoughts that I would not even share with my partner because I know if I shared it with them, they're gonna be too worried, and because of my upbringing. And my primary caretaker, who's still alive, started using threats to manipulate me. So, like, I have I have an, an extra layer of I don't want to be ever perceived as trying to control another person through my dark thoughts. So oh, interesting. So, like, <laughs> I, yeah, if that's for me personal. I don't know if that's for other people, but for me personally, that's how I feel. So yeah. I did reach out to someone who was a close friend of mine and said, hey, this is how I feel. And I know this is going to pass, and I'm not going to do anything dangerous, but I do feel that it's important that I tell somebody this. And the reason I'm contacting you, I studied psychology. And for me personally, I can't go uh, to a psychologist. I have a hard time with it because I already know the process. I already know the mentality. I already know the techniques. I know. I know. Yeah. So I actually just need someone who's close to me, who knows my full story that I don't have to start from scratch with and be like, this is how I feel right now. And I'm going to feel fine later. But this is how I feel. And then they called me up and we had a chat and, and I told them about the stuff that's been pissing me off. Cause my, a lot of my issues come out as anger management issues. And I think I've mentioned this to you maybe on camera or off camera before. Yeah. And, and I, Oh, for a lot of men going back to our men and mental health, a lot of these issues come out as anger management issues. Oh, yeah. Irritability. People don't think that I'm depressed. People think I'm pissed off. And it's like, no, actually, I have a lot of fear and anxiety right now. And I don't want to be here because I really don't feel happy at all. But I'm making myself do this job for the rest of these fuckers that count on me. So uh, this is how it's coming out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I still get the job done. I'm not as happy about it. And chirpy, but you know, that's just one other way it manifests that people don't really understand. 
the first thing when I started my anger management because I went I put myself through my own anger management program because I'm in Japan and if I if I was in America I would have walked right into an anger management group they're everywhere and started they're everywhere they're they're not here in Japan <laughs> maybe if they are they're all in Japanese and it's going to be difficult so I put myself through my own anger management program and the first thing in the book it said angry people are not happy Makes and it sense. sounds like such a simple statement. But it's really profound. Angry yeah. people are obviously they're not happy. They're angry, but they said they're really not happy. <laughs> they're really not happy. That's the core problem with someone who's angry or has anger management issues is they're not happy, and yeah, it manifests itself as anger. And like then I started reading, reading the book, and there's all these people that, and they're mostly people that prison. <laughs> <laughs> these are all all people who are in prison uh, <laughs> and they've done some they've hurt somebody beat up somebody and i'm like oh wow that first thing you gotta admit to yourself is you know if you don't get this shit under control you are gonna end up in prison and, and you can't don't lie to yourself and say no i'm not that no that's never gonna happen to me because that's how you end up in prison if yeah. you have anger management issues is you're gonna end up assaulting someone it's gonna happen it's gonna happen in our circle. We are we have a little bit of a gray zone going on because we're in an environment where we're allowed to be this way. But that's another thing. Like we're talking about martial arts, it's like yeah. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, but generally you're not hitting the other. I mean, you can hit somebody and get angry, or someone can hit you and get angry and be like angry at them and that's the type of anger that you need to practice not developing it needs to be a damn that was a good shot son of a bitch got me with that i gotta make sure he doesn't get me with that again or i gotta see and make sure i see that coming so i can counter it it's not that oh i got hit three times and then you get pissed off and throw your helmet and go after the guy like that's yeah. whole, that's not the it's the exact opposite of what we're trying to manifest but, but, here. But what, what's what's happening is psychologically, and we have to wrap this up. But <laughs> we have to wrap this up. We're getting we're getting way close to that hour. Um, there is this thing called I think it was either diffusion or reformalization, and also rationalization that they talk about in psychology, where and they had that exact same that exact same that exact same example in the book. It was literally in the book. Um, Bob is an angry person who who gets into a lot of bar fights. Bob has decided that he's going to do karate. Um and karate to to help him with his anger. Uh and then at the end it says Bob still has to be careful. Now <laughs> 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 he is a more dangerous bar fight. <laughs> Bob has now become more dangerous. Bob has to be careful that he doesn't subconsciously hurt people in karate. So like, so like, you know, like this is like, so again, I I think um, yeah, that that that's something that should probably that we I should that should be mentioned. I'm not I'm not saying that martial arts is the cure all for an anger management issue or a mental health issue that causes suicidal rumination and ideation, but I think, and to 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 not be like Jerry Springer, final thoughts. Um, I think I think. That if more, and I don't want to sound genderized, but we are specifically talking about men. If more men can become comfortable in owning what I just said, angry people are not happy people, and really honing into why you're not happy, 
why you're not happy. And then you're never going to be Okay, another, another clause. You're never going to be quote-unquote happy. You just talked about people like us are never, like, happy. Like... You can be I've content. Seen, I've seen content. You know, like... I've I, seen I'm happy people. content. Yeah, I can be right? content. Yeah. I can be content and calm and good. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm good. I feel good with myself. That's, I think that's a good place to be. But if more men can have that conversation openly um, and hone in on that, uh, I think as a society, uh, any martial arts practitioner listening to this, I think you can benefit from that. Benefit from knowing that when you're really pissed off, um, before you start honing in and ruminating on what's really pissing you off, or who, who, before saying the who, you should be looking at the what, because we or, can always we can always create a, a a monster that we're that we're fighting and say it's a it's a person and sometimes it is, but that's really just an excuse. There's probably something underlying, there's some underlying what. Yeah, like I, I agree. Or something you gotta get away with that you not that you might be overlooking that can really help you hone in. And that those are well, my final thoughts. I I agree. I'm just saying the exact same thing over here. I know martial arts has helped me and lots of other guys in so many ways. And what you said really touched base with me about anger because I know I've been pissed off all day about interacting with this crappy American doctor who has 1.7 out of five stars, by the way. Can't even get to the two. All right. Not that I've looked him up very much while I've been emailing back and forth. Um, but I'm angry. But in reality, what I am trying to feel is sad. I'm sad that I'm not getting the result I want. But all day long, I've been pissed off. And then when you said that, it reminded me, oh, yeah, that's right. I actually need to be trying to feel sad because that's what I am really trying to protect myself from because I'm so angry. I want to do something, but there's no shit I can do. So it's a very good point. Yeah, and that's okay. and it's okay to feel sad. Right. Society accepts sad. Now they might talk shit about it. Society will will accept sad much more than they'll accept angry. That is so, true. Yeah. Well, well, um, we're up on our hour. I think we covered most of the points. Is there any points that you can think of? I mean, I I think it's just the general. If you are having self harming thoughts, you know, like you said, reach out to someone you can trust. Reach out, talk, you know, try to get back into routine. Find an impatient. Like, there's all. I hate to sound so generic, but like. Suicide is 99.999% of the time not the answer. There are some people who have, you know, horrible illnesses, and I don't judge those people. That's a totally different talk. But, you know, chances are, if you're listening to this, just ask someone for some help. You know, there's always somebody who can do something for you. Don't give up hope, you know? And again, um, like I said, it might be a suicide hotline number. It might be a group. Might just be someone that you can trust enough to tell them that you feel that way. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. Um, if you liked what you saw, uh, please subscribe and all that other stuff. Turn on your notifications. And I'll catch you all later. Peace. Thanks.